Hi everyone, I'm Dan Harding, Editor-in-Chief of Power Motor Yacht, welcoming you back to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast, your home for the best stories in boating. I'd like to kick things off today with a quick shout out to our sponsor, Atlantis Marine Finance. When it comes to getting a loan for your new boat, there's a lot of options out there, but not all are created equal. Atlantis Marine Finances focuses solely on the boat and yacht space and understands the complexities that sometimes come with boat buying. For more information on financing your dream boat, head on over to AtlantisMarineFinance.com. Now, on to the episode. Hey guys, this is Chris Dixon, Senior Editor with Power and Motor Yacht Magazine, and you're listening to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast. Today, I am privileged to be having a conversation with Jesse Hoffmeister, who is a towboat U.S. operator out of Stewart, Florida. And Jesse has created some really cool, informative, and fascinating social media channels based on his work. Um, his Instagram in particular was where I noticed him first. It's at captain.retriever. And there was a video that I had seen of Jesse doing a, a parbuckle recovery on a Grady White that it was just, that was fascinating, frankly. And then I dove into some more of his, of his stuff. And he has very interesting life on the water, towing boats, doing salvage operations, rescuing boaters, going into storms. And I, uh, I thought it would be just cool to talk to him for the pod. So without further ado, um, let me introduce you guys to Jesse. Jesse, thanks so much for, for taking your time, first of all, and then tell us a little bit about, you know, where you operate out of and a little bit of, of your own history and maybe a personal hero or two. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, so I operate out of Stewart, Florida. Um, I've been here for about 15 years now. I just kind of grew up around docks. I was basically a dock rat. <laughs> My dad always worked on boats. He did, uh, he worked on sport fishes, so I just got to hang around there and play on the bars and mm-hmm. fish and you know, do that kind of stuff. Um, then I graduated into commercial fishing. I really kind of took to that stuff and eventually took over charter fishing. And, you know, my guidance counselors thought I was crazy, but it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of the life I chose. Life on the water. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't have it any other way. And, and, and you had sort of a, you had told me, if I recall, a, a mentor um, and a gentleman named Woody. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about him and, and what, what are some of the things you learned from him? So, yeah, he's been a great boss. I've worked for him since I came here back in about 2011. And what's um, his last name? Woody Woodruff. Woody Woodruff, gotcha. He's, uh, yeah, he's a well-known staple around here, around Stewart. Um great guy uh, i learned a lot from him you know just how to handle fires and you know just kind of the process of you know you better go kind of thing tell, tell people who aren't familiar with the waters around stewart florida you know let, let's talk about three let's let's go from offshore to inshore to to lake okeechobee you know so Tell, talk a little bit about what the offshore environment is that you guys operate in and, and do rescues in and then and, and maybe you know some of the the factors at work including the Gulf Stream and then and then you know the, the ICW and and that sort of thing and then and then let's touch on Lake Okeechobee because I know Lake Okeechobee can be a pretty heavy place too yeah so the Gulf Stream is obviously it, it's crazy out there. It's, you know, you got about three to four knots of tide sometimes. And when we get members wow. to break down, they're drifting north at three or four knots. So we kind of got to overshoot them and we're about 10 miles from them. So if we're doing 20 knots, we kind of have to plan a half hour. They're going to be about two miles north of where they said they were when they called. Wow. And, you know, maybe the current's not running that day and you kind of overshoot it and then you got to turn right and <laughs> go find them. Yeah. But, um, you know, the Gulf Stream and weather interacting with the the current, you get a hard north wind that really stands it up. Conversely, if it gets a hard south wind with the current, it lays it out a little bit because it's going with the current. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes but sense. But inshore, inshore, we got a lot of sandbars here. Um, that's probably our biggest money maker. <laughs> it's just, you know, People, you know, not knowing red, right, return and taking the wrong side of channel markers and stuff. Um, but, you know, if you need, there's uh, there's some tricky areas around here too. You know, mm-hmm. it's about five foot in, 
in the channel in some places. And if you call us for local knowledge, we'll kind of help you out and tell you where those spots are. That's it. Yeah. And that's a point that, that, you know, um, when you and I were, were kind of speaking on background earlier that I'd not really even considered that I think folks should and could be aware of with Towboat US. You know, if you're not familiar with the, with, you know, a local area, you can actually call um, Towboat's 800 number if, if you're, and, and they'll put you in touch with somebody who's familiar with the waters where you're planning on operating and can tell you, you know, for example, if a channel is filled in or, or that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's also, you know, local information. If we hear something on the bridges or if the locks are closed, you know, cause if you're going out West towards the lake, you got a couple locks you got to deal with when mm. they do maintenance on them. You might not know, but we're probably going to be a little more in touch with that stuff because we deal with it every day. Yeah. One of, one of the many benefits of spending your 165 or $200 a year on a, on, on a towboat membership. You don't necessarily have to be a member for that kind of benefit, mm. but you know, it, it does help gotcha. and it's worth having. In terms of Lake Okeechobee, um, South Florida's inland sea, what what are some of the unique factors in terms of just dealing with the water and the weather there that people, you know, in addition to the locks that people might not necessarily be aware of or where you have to run rescues? Yeah, so we don't go out there anymore, but for the past 10 years prior to uh, uh, Lake Okeechobee Tower being established there, we used to go out there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. and. So the storms are what really make that place crazy. Mm. You, you get a little thunderstorm in there and it goes from black calm to like three to five, but really, it's a really close period and it will just rock you to death and eat you. And there, there really ain't no way out of it. Wow. Wow. And there's a lot of shallow spots over there too. And there's, it's all limestone rock too and shell beds and stuff. So it's, it's, a lot of it's hard bottom too. It's not just mud. Right. So in other words, there's a lot of ways to get in a lot of trouble on, on what might otherwise, you know, strike, strike most folks as a placid, safer place to boat. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably call one of my roughest days I've ever been on the water in that lake out in the middle. Really? Can, can you tell me it, a little it was bit just about so the... close together. It was just so close together. And I'm sitting there telling the 60 foot, sea ray back across oh, gosh and i got my dog with me so i got her in my lap and i got my legs pinned up against the console and it's rocking 45 degrees to each side just the whole way for like you know 10 miles or oh whatever my gosh man wow and and like you said so, when, when you have a, a a gust front driven you know windswell like that the the waves are just one <laughs> after the other yeah yeah, yeah, it can get pretty hairy out there. It's amazing that more little boats don't sink in that, but they're typically not running across, you know, making the, the trek across the, the the lake there. Yeah, yeah. Mostly larger vessels transiting. Is the in terms of the how how shifty? Um, I, you know, I live up in the Charleston area, and you know, we have I think bigger tides than you do. Our tides are typically between five and seven feet and which obviously equates to a lot of moving sand and channels and that sort of thing. Is that, is that a similar situation to what you find, um, down there and, uh, and how quickly did the channels maybe, you know, shift and, and silt in or that sort of thing? Um, waters. the inlet can be especially bad because if you get a big swell, it mm. just dries it right through and it, there's supposed to be a sand trap there, but it just comes right across and eventually, the inlet in mm-hmm. uh they've done a pretty good job dredging it lately so it hasn't been an issue over the last year or two but it, that place can get pretty silted in quickly mm-hmm. and the river that's more of kind of like a gradual thing but they don't really do a whole lot of dredging in some of the problem areas so it never really gets fully remedied they'll show up for you know five days or whatever do a quick dredge and but it never gets quite the depth gotcha well, you know, in terms of in terms of um, when you guys do a, a rescue or a rescue or a recovery, um, what do you find in terms of the I guess the percentage of people that have that 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 give you a call? Um, you know, is it 
It, are most of the people that call you, do they have subscriptions? Do most of the people on the water have subscriptions? And, and yeah, maybe talk just a little bit about that. Um, I would say a solid 80% of our calls are member related. Mm -hmm. um, it's crazy not to have it. Just the cost of towing nowadays is insane. It's only 165 or $200 a year, but you're preventing, you know, they say the average tow is between seven fifty and nine hundred and fifty dollars you know if you you get charged for an hour rate it's from the time we leave to the time we get back Jeez. it's not just you know oh i only gotta go 10 minutes 100 yard tow well i gotta run an hour to get to you <laughs> so it, long short is it makes a lot of sense yeah yeah it's i have one for my personal boat and you know i, I just hate to put any of my colleagues out you know, money for them to respond on our company's boat. And it just, it just makes sense. Can you talk real quickly? Um, two things um, I want to make sure we cover are, first of all, tell me about um, your, how, how it works um, to be an operator and, and who's, and, and, you know, if the boat, belongs to towboat us or if the boat belongs to you and then you know are you an employee of towboat us and or are you and and or an independent contractor so let's talk real yeah, so yeah go ahead i'm sorry they have a lot of different different uh people that do different things you know it's all your contractual owner they have the contracted to do the jobs mm -hmm. towboat us pays each uh it's sort of like a franchise but it's really just a contract and they pay us and we all own the boats here locally so the, the, the owner not not us oh the owner of that franchise owns the boats correct okay makes sense tell me about the boat that you know for the, that badass um honda powered boat that you Parbuckle retrieved the Grady White with. Can you can you tell us a bit about its manufacturer um, and and some of its uh, finer points of of construction? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a silver ship. It's out of Mobile, Alabama. Okay. Um, they make really great boats. They do a lot of military contracted stuff. Mm. Um, I think they just got like a six million dollar military contract for Target boats. Wow. But they are bulletproof. I mean, I think that boat's going to long outlast me. <laughs> it's all like three eight hand welded, you know, and the Hondas hold up really well for what we put them through. Is it uh, the gear cases are pretty much bulletproof? You had talked a while back. I I seem to remember you saying the that you guys like those because they're also manual shift, and you're you're putting the motors through such um, rigors. You don't want to have drive by wire, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've run into issues with flyby We actually had some that were just shifting on their own and <laughs> getting stuck at like 4,000 RPMs and stuff. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> we're sitting there towing 130 for one day and it throws the code and I can't, I got to shut the engines off to restart it. And so we, we oh. kind of shy away from it if we can. And Honda is one of the few manufacturers that still has cable shift. And what's the horsepower on those Hondas um, on on the boat that you that you're generally running? They're two fifties. Two fifties, gotcha. So five. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's more than enough horsepower for what we do. And how I mean, long is that boat? What's the length of it? It's documented twenty eight feet. Twenty eight feet, cool. Right on. Yeah, um, most of our boats are twenty eight. Yeah, they, they look they look extremely capable, um, and uh, I I would definitely feel yeah, they, relieved if I saw if they, I saw you pulling up in one of those. Yeah, that, we take very good care of our equipment here, and those boats they ride amazingly well. This is, it's a deep D. Just they take a sea real well, and then they, when they're in the water, they sit real well. They don't rock a whole lot. Mm -hmm. What what did you first use? Um, when you when you first started doing this, was it were was it boats of similar configuration, or has that evolved very much in the last you know fifteen years you've been doing this? Uh, it was kind of more of a mashup back then. We had a a Worldcat, we had an Almar, which is the inflatable we still have, mm -hmm. but it had IOs in it. Now we have outboard. They had yeah. Silver Ship completely redo it and fit it for outboard, and then we got our old uh, little single IO 
called Lady Retriever. It's like a custom aluminum. We're actually going to repower or uh, re-outfit that, you know, redo the decks, fuel tanks and all that. But that's more of a river boat. These are all our offshore ones. Cool. Well, what about, I know there was another video that you had um, that you posted where there was a runaway boat in the dark and there was a rope involved that I think you threw. Can you, can you take us through, through that situation and, and maybe talk about runaway boats? Cause it is something yeah, that so, happens. So the guy's out there just cruising by himself along the intercoastal, probably doing 30 knots. And out of nowhere, this other boat cuts out of an adjacent channel and T-bones him Damn. and kind of veers off and you see the boat start circling well, probably two minutes after it starts circling, you see a little light come on, and the guy's over there with his cell phone. And um, and he's on the boat? No, he got ejected from the boat. Oh, wow. And he so when he hit the up. water, he had he had a uh, an app on his phone that alerts you to, like, a fall. Mm-hmm. Well, it called his wife, and he's talking to his wife. Hey, I'm in the water. I'm, the boat's trying to run me over. Holy so he called – his wife called 911, and – a good Sam's able to get the guy out of the way. So we go out there and the, I was already out there kind of hanging out at a friend's house, which is literally probably 300 yards from where this happened. Uh huh. And so oh I go gosh, out there and I just, just happen to be out there and see this. Yeah. Well, I didn't see it. I just, I was very close. I was like, wait, that's the boat. <laughs> oh my God. So we go out there and we, it's really shallow. It's cutting across, you know, two, three feet of water. And which made it hard. You can't just go drive up alongside it or anything. And the boat's doing 30 knots. And it's making so, a big circle? Yeah, oh. it's a pretty wide circle. Okay. So I kind of, after doing, or uh, I guess I'm kind of jumping there. So we, I try to take some floating line. I try to put it in the props. And it doesn't really get in the props. What it does is it catches around the top of the lower unit. How did and you even do that in it, the first it, place? Uh I just drug out about a hundred yards of our floating polypropylene rope mm-hmm. and drop it in the path of the boat. So, and so I did that and it slowed it down probably to about 15, 20 knots where it's a little more manageable, but I'm still trying to work in, you know, a foot or three feet of water. Oh. So I take my other tow line, I leave that one in there and I pay it out with a, a poly ball on there mm-hmm. to, to actually grab the outboard with it and maybe I can stop it. And I know when I figured out another way to stop them in which is you actually have to grab, you have to pin a poly ball between the lower unit and the boat. Okay. And when you drag it backwards, it captures the other lines that are already dragging in the prop because it'll never get in the prop for the most part because the prop is down low. Yeah. So... I actually have a, a thing I kind of made and it's got a bunch of lines that all stick off it and a poly ball on the end. So when you grab it now, you pull the boat backwards, it creates just a, a froth and it'll, it'll wrap up the froth. So you're, so in this case, that boat was, you slowed it down by throwing an initial rope into it and then you came up alongside it and, and no, and did no, that? I dropped another line okay. in front of it and captured it and, caught the lower unit but this one was able to actually grab onto the boat and stop it whereas oh the other gosh. one was just kind of dragging um that must have been nerve-wracking as hell yeah it was a little sketchy <laughs> <laughs> what um but i mean the important message with this is you know people really need to start wearing lanyards especially operating at night by yourself mm-hmm. exactly but we've probably had half a dozen cases where people have fallen over and the boat's been running around. One guy unfortunately died up there by the Tencent bridge up here. He got ran over. Damn. I think it was a whaler. And he didn't have a lanyard on. No, no, none of these people do. <clears throat> In terms of, I guess the most common, you know, well, two things, what are sort of the most common calls you get and tied into that? What are the most, in addition to the lanyard, for example, you know, what are just some, some things that, that are just sort of over and over that you, that, you know, if you were trying to impress on the boating public, 
ways to keep from having to call you, you know, what are, what are some of those, those tips and pointers? And then just also, like I said, there's the most common scenarios, you know what I mean? I mean, the biggest thing is one word maintenance. Mm. The amount of calls we get that are just lack of maintenance or, you know, just letting things go is probably what prompts most of our toes. Mm-hmm. You know, batteries just not quite up to par. You think, oh, I can get out there for another day with it. You know, the, oh, the fuel sender's not reading quite right. I, I think I know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I might be guilty of that myself at one point in life. And then, like you said, sandbars um, and and not knowing not knowing the channels and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, we get quite a few grounders around here. It's just it is kind of a complicated area to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one being, having local knowledge or at least, you know, the first time you go through a channel, you don't know, go slow. You, know, you get a lot of new boners. They just want to open it up the minute they get it and don't stop till they put it away. It, it, do you, you know, they've um, been having big back and forth battles in a number of States in terms of, uh, safety courses for boaters, you know, and I'm, I'm wondering sort of, you know, where you fall on, on based on what you've seen. I mean, I had to take it. I had to take it when I was a kid. I'm totally for it. I know people are grandfathered in and feel like they don't need it, but it is a good thing to have, you know, it kind of familiarizes yourself with what the markers mean, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, my, my kids, um, they literally just took, just took the course and, um, you know, I mean, just the, the, the added knowledge that they got, even from that just makes me feel better, you know, letting them, letting them take our boat out for sure. And it's, it it just seems like such a no brainer. Um, but still a lot of people don't bother or think, you know, they, yeah, even if you went back for for a refresher course or watch something online, you know, just, just say you become a better boater. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of YouTube videos that are always trying to help you out and point you in the right direction. Let's let's talk about communications, Jesse. Um, you know, what do you what what do you see most commonly as mistakes that people make with communication, and and what would you like to see? Does that make sense? So people really do need to learn how to use VHF radios mm. and have. Not just a handheld, because the handheld's really restricted in range. Yeah, you need to have a fixed mount radio that can reach out and you know talk to people when you really need it. Because mm-hmm. your cell phone isn't always going to work. You know, if you're ten miles offshore, chances are you may not be in cell phone range. You know, get a lot of people that do that. They'll be out there in a 18 foot boat, 10, 15 miles offshore. You know, hoping their cell phone's going to work. God, and then. Another thing is when you have a cell phone out that far, if you don't put it in airplane mode, typically the battery dies because it's constantly searching for towers. So, oh right, so VHF radios are very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VHF radios and EPIRBs and that kind of stuff are paramount. I'm good friends with the guy with the Austin Perry guys. Um, with which Blue guys? Stefano is a good friend of mine. Uh, Blue Stefano okay. is a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. and that's just a a prime case of EPIRBs, you know, we really, every boat should have one, you know, even if you feel like you don't need one, it's a really good thing to have, Mm -hmm. you know, just like that storm with the sailboat in the river. If you were on a little tiny boat, chances are you could get capsized. And if nobody knows you're out there and your phone flipped over with the boat, you got nothing. Yeah. And an EPIRB, a floating EPIRB is going to deploy automatically and, and, and alert the, alert the satellites, right? Yeah. 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 And Coast Guard will at least send somebody out there looking for you. Whenever we hear a need for a case, we go out there searching and, you know, just try to make sure. What's your professional and personal rule with regards to PFDs? Um, well, Boat US has a policy we're supposed to wear them all the time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I personally don't always wear one if I'm on my personal boat, if mm-hmm. I'm fishing, because I feel like it gets tangled and stuff. But, you know, if you're not a really good swimmer, if I'm offshore operating by myself, I do love to wear them. They're, yeah. um, they're, they're great. I mean, as far as 
saving your life because you can only tread water for so long, you know, and you have an extra light on there or anything like that. Coast Guard got a lot better chance of finding you. Do you use one that, that, or do you rely on one that, that inflates automatically if it hits the water or do you use um, a manual inflatable? Yeah, most of what we use are the Mustang survival ones. Mm. So if you hit the water, they inflate. And, you know, when we're offshore, we try to have a personal locating beacon on us. Mm -hmm. Because if you fall over and get hurt, it's going to inflate. You're going to be able to float long enough for somebody to find you. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that can go wrong out there. It was funny because I was talking to my son about that, and and he said um, we were talking about you know whether he should be just wearing like his ski vest or or inflatable, and he said, well, if I get knocked overboard, who's to say I'm not going to get knocked out? And my and and you know the inflatable doesn't inflate, you know. If you, in other words, if you don't have one that automatically inflates, so even even he was aware of that, and it's definitely it's definitely a consideration. Um, yeah, and there's been a couple cases where you know. People are running back from the Bahamas and they get almost back to shore and they realize somebody's missing. You know, they went to be off the back while they're running and the guy's just out there floating with no knowledge of him missing until till too late. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting because I, I, I had a conversation a while back with a Coast Guard rescue swimmer and that was actually one of his big pieces of advice was, you know, one, wear PFD and two, be especially careful peeing overboard because that that's a it's it's actually a really common um you know source of of man overboard accidents and even fatalities yeah crazy to think about yeah well, definitely um and then there's also do you have have you ever had to get somebody whose communications completely failed and they had you know visual um you know, I don't know, flares or that sort of thing. Have you ever, have, have, have you ever been in a position of having to find somebody with smoke signals or, or flares? No. So actually if they have a radio on board, we also have some of our boats are outfitted with um, radio direction finders. Ah. So if they key a mic, we can get a heading on them and kind of head to them because sometimes people have their GPS is set up wrong in the wrong configuration. It's right. not, you know, degrees, minutes, seconds. It's, three seconds or you know they put loran in there or something <laughs> you never know but good point there is you know we have alternate ways of finding people but to go out there with just a cell phone is crazy and then in terms of it, it, do you have any sort of well two things one let's just talk a little about what you've seen with regards to lightning and then um if you have advice for people who you know, see, see us, uh, cells forming and they're, and they're offshore, you know, like any, any sort of common threads with, with lightning. And then also just with, with avoiding, you know, thunderstorms, particularly. I mean, there's not much you can do when a lightning storm's already on you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can try to avoid it and go around it, but the way they form around here, they usually move from off onshore to offshore Mm -hmm. and it kind of blocks your way. Yeah. So when, if you're in a really bad one, what I like to do is set the autopilot and just put my, I just kind of like sit all tucked in, don't touch anything metal. And basically, (laughs) hopefully the console acts like a Faraday cage. Yeah. I've had some really close strikes, like 10, 20 feet away, but it's never actually struck the boat. So, I mean, it seems like there's really no rhyme or reason to where it's going to hit. You would think 20 foot away with a metal boat, it hit it, but it, it doesn't always. Wow, that's a trip. So, in other words, it hit the ocean, but didn't even hit your boat. No, <laughs> that's crazy. Wow, that's crazy. Well, let's. So, part of that's like why I wanted to start filming and showing some of this stuff. There's some really crazy stuff that happens out there, you know, weather-wise, and you know, people, nobody will believe you if you don't film it. Exactly, and and talk a little bit about sort of the genesis of that. Like, what was there one particular event that made you think I need to start filming? filming this stuff or yeah it was that runaway boat mm. you know fortunately we had some dash cameras on there to catch that stuff but it really doesn't do nearly as well of a job as a 360 camera because the 360 will level and you can turn the camera however you want it mm-hmm. and i'm actually working on some of the immersive stuff where you can turn the camera around on youtube and see all the different angles and that kind of stuff oh wow but yeah so i filmed that and i, I was always doing just youtube and my sister was like, oh, you got to go on TikTok. So I'm like, all right, I'll cut them down for music and put them on TikTok. And it did really well. Uh-huh. So then I was kind of like looking around like, oh, it's Instagram. <laughs> I got on Instagram after TikTok. 
and it's actually surpassed the TikTok. So, I, yeah, I think Instagram, the the folks that are on Instagram, yeah, we actually had this conversation. I think you generally find kind of more serious boaters on Instagram than than yeah than you do on TikTok, because um, TikTok is more yeah, it seems younger audience, you know. Yeah, TikTok's a younger audience. It seems like Instagram's kind of in between, and then Facebook's like a lot of older people. Are like, what are you putting that trash music on there for? <laughs> Everybody's a critic, right? Yeah, I can't. I can't make everybody happy. No, you can't. It's 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 completely impossible in this era of social media, for sure. A lot, a lot of questions I get are asked: Is how do you get into this industry? Yeah, I get constant messages, and it's um, it's basically kind of what. I found like the best captains are the ones that are out there on the water every day. Usually it's like the commercial guys or, you know, ex charter guys or stuff like that. Where mm-hmm. they already have a lot of the, the hours on the boat and, you know, we can tell how good of a boat handler you are in the first five minutes. Oh, I'm sure. And from there, you just need a captain's license and a towing endorsement and, you know, finding a place that's willing to hire you. Do you get a towing endorsement from the Coast Guard as well? In other words, is that kind of part of? Is yeah, that a it's sub just part an addition of... on your license. Okay. And it's really kind of only a ten-question test, and it, they hit on some points, but I kind of feel like I need to make a video on that. A lot of people ask for it. Is you know, kind of like a walkthrough of the boats and the job, and you know how you do this and that, because I don't really do a lot of that yet, because it's all voiceover stuff, and yeah. I get sound of my own voice, <laughs> but. <laughs> I kind of need to get there and, you know, develop the channel a little more and make kind of like a, a how-to video on it. And what I tell people is just look at the videos and see how I configure the lines. You need an aft, a forward, and a spring, just mm-hmm. like you tie up at a dock. The boat shouldn't move anywhere. And, you know, other than that, just get your licenses and contact your local tower. Yeah, no, and, and 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 then how about pay? You know, um, you know how does uh, pay and hours? I guess are are sort of the two questions. You kind of alluded to the hours. It can be sometimes you're sitting there playing Angry Birds for a long time, and then it comes in. But let's talk, you know, just briefly about you know how do, how's compensation and and how are, well, how are t- your hours? Typically, we're fifty hour work week. I mean, everyone of these towers does things different because they're mm-hmm. all individual owners. Some of them pay you like a percentage of the job, you know, say 25 or 30% of how many toes you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a salary. Some people are hourly. Um, but it all depends on, you know, what you can do, what kind of management managerial roles you're taking on to what the pay is. You know, you, you can't expect to make as much as a guy that's moving hundred foot boats when you're only moving 20, 30 foot boats. So it's just kind of a progression and, you know, I've been in it a long time, so I'm making pretty good pay, but I'm also taking on a lot more risk. Do you enjoy it? Oh, I love it. I mean, that's, I mean, when I move big stuff, my heart rate doesn't even go up as far as, you know, complicated jobs and fires and it, it's an adrenaline thing, but I've gotten so used to it. It doesn't affect me like it used to. And it's better because you're more clear headed and you can kind of think things through and, avoid the, the general adrenaline fog. Well, that's, yeah, that's an interesting point that you, that you make. It's like, you know, what is fear? Fear is a lack of knowledge and the more knowledge and experience that you or in some cases, anyway, it's a lack of knowledge, you know, and, and in a case like yours, or even the case of like a rescue swimmer for the coast guard, you know, the, the, the more, um, training you have and the more on the water experience, just simply put the better, the better you're going to be. Yeah. It's like, it's muscle memory. You know, every, I'm already thinking ahead of what I need to do and how the boat, you know, feeling under my feet. Mm-hmm. I kind of know what I need to do long before it even happens. So it doesn't, I don't really have a fear of moving big stuff anymore. Can you... or fires or sinking boats or when does what's the difference between you know I don't know if this is the right way to put it but what's the difference between a, a rescue tow and a salvage so you know what I mean like when does when does a boat when does an operation become a salvage versus the your 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 assisting an owner does that make sense it, it's basically if your boat is in peril okay is your situation going to continue to get worse or 
all right, do you have your boat under control for the most part, you know, in a reasonable manner? You know, is your boat anchored? Are you drifting into the rocks? Are you, you know, on the beach and your boat's getting pounded to shreds mm-hmm. kind of thing? And and is it important that, you know, you'll see, I've, I've seen people say, um, I can't remember what this what this situation exactly was, but it 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 was somebody saying, um, make sure that you are clear with somebody who shows up. Say it's not a towboat U.S. operator. Say it's just somebody who who comes and sees that you're in trouble and offers to to put a rope on for you. Uh, you know, I, I seem to remember that there was a video with a warning, you know, to make sure that you establish clearly that. This is not a salvage. This is a this is a, a tow or a rescue because because then the 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 person with the boat, if they don't have good intentions, is can they not? Yeah, it's a it's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. But as far as salvages are concerned, you're supposed to be up front with the people. And Boat US has a policy for us. We're supposed to verbally say, "Hey, this is a salvage," you know you know, do you agree to sign paperwork afterwards Mm. or whatever, but we have to verbally tell them, you know, we can't be shady about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we wouldn't be, you know, I'm I'm just saying we got to, we really got to be up front. We try to dot our T's and cross our I's (laughs) one or the other there. (laughs) One or the other. Right. Gotcha. Well, (laughs) the other, the other point, you know, that would be worth touching on is, yeah, let's talk about that that the tow that you did of the sailboat in the storm. Um, if those people didn't have towboat, you know, insurance, how much would they be paying for an operation like that versus what they're paying if they spend less than two hundred dollars a year on a membership? Uh, locally, our rates are about three hundred and forty-five dollars an hour, and that's from the time we leave our dock mm-hmm. to the time we get back to our dock because we're running full time. Wow. So where they were, I mean, they were probably looking at two and a half, three hours. Mm-hmm. So times three forty-five, you're looking at thousand dollars. Wow. And then, and that's, and that only goes up if they're if they're offshore out in the Gulf Stream, and you have to. Oh yeah, if you're aground, different areas have different prices, but it's going to be around twenty-two, twenty-four dollars a foot, in addition to the hourly. Wow. So you know, a forty-foot boat. You're looking at thousand twelve hundred dollars versus for, a yearly membership of one hundred and sixty five. A known expense, you know, that you can kind of plan for. Oh yeah, we got to take one hundred and sixty five bucks out, but it prevents us from having this huge unforeseen expense. That you know, it's just crazy not to have it anymore. I agree, I, and you know, and it's like it, it goes to the point that you made. Like you don't know when even if, even if you think you're on your mechanicing, you know, like I had, I had, um, we went to an Island here called Morris Island and posted up on the beach for the day. And, and then we went to leave and, um, my trim and tilt stuck in the up position and I didn't have a screwdriver to lower the pressure to lower the thing down. Um, but I had a towboat membership and, you know, so crisis averted, you know, most of the people had already left the sandbar, and I was able to, to call and within you know, an hour and 15 driver shows up, tows me back and I'm good to go. And it would have, it, you know, and I mean, the tow itself was, you know, I think he said, hey, yeah, this probably would have cost you about $2,000. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it was definitely worth it. Well, it's also, um, it's, it's beyond your control because a lot of this stuff is electronics. Mm-hmm. We've had people where the steering is even tied into all the electronics. You have no steering, no power, and they're just dying out there in the middle of the water. Right. So some of the stuff is completely beyond your control. Well, that, you know, that that's, I mean, it just, it just makes such a, such a ridiculously strong argument, you know, is there in terms of boat length is D is there a, a cap at which you either have to pay more for a towboat membership or at, at which, you know, it's beyond, it's beyond the scope of, of what you guys do thinking a bigger yacht. As far as I know, no, but there is a cap on the amount that usually $2,500 for this 165 membership and $3,000 for the unlimited gold membership. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. So you may cap it out on ground in a 150 foot yacht, but you still got $3,000 towards it. And you're, 
you're getting a corporate rate instead of a public rate on the hourly. Okay. If you ever do have to go over, it's, it's way less. Wow. What else? Probably risk first reward too in our in our occupation doing salvages and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff, you know, we kind of aren't, we need to say no to. You know, we just had a, a, a dock barge that was flipped over. You know, the crane was buried in the mud. Oh, wow. It's got a sponsor knocked off it. So we're sitting there looking at it going like, uh, you know, how much do I need to make to make this, you know, worth the trouble I'm about to get into yeah, or yeah. could potentially get into? You know, some of these, you just kind of got to either walk away or make the price worth your while. In you know, you kind of ha- got to have the knowledge to know how much you're getting in over your head. What would happen to to a barge like that in that case where you guys just decide, man, this is beyond our scope? Does it become just a demolition in that case? Or how, how, does, how does that crane ultimately get out of the water? You know what I mean? Well, I mean – our plan was just to put bags on it and try to float it and get it to a place where we could actually work on it. Cause it was kind of wedged in between docks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But just in that case, they kind of know it's going to be damaged. I mean, we're not going to disassemble it and tear it apart or break it in any way. Right. But it's kind of just knowing, you know, looking at a boat going, wait, that's a wooden boat. You know, the holes probably all rotted out. I go trying to put bags on it and break something. Now I'm responsible, and they're going to say it was immaculate before I touched it. Ah, of course. Interesting. Just kind of knowing how to approach it, having the experience to know what it's going to take, you know, where you need special equipment like cranes or stuff like that to mm-hmm. get it done. And if you do, the price is going to go up a lot. Yeah, I can imagine. And we That's... had one that was up on the, the North Jetty, but the hole is already damaged you know, pretty much beyond repair. God knows his fingers were probably, he ran into it doing at least 20 knots. Jeez. Smacked in the, <laughs> into the North jetty. Did it hang up it on the jetty? Up there. Just so we just stuck up there. Yeah. He was up in the air. Yeah. Jeez. So, so we you... just opted just to pull that one off. But if, you know, the insurance companies will like, why didn't you use a crane? Well, cause the price is going to go up to, you know, three times that. Is the boat really worth that after we get it off? I yeah. Mean, the only thing of value is probably the outboards, and the outboards got a hole in it. You know, the lower unit had a hole in it. How uh, do you keep that boat? Okay, so you've got a you've got a boat that's that's obviously got a really damaged hull from an incident like that, and is would sink. How do you you know what? T- maybe take me through like how do you get the boat off the rocks, and then how do you get the boat moving fast enough that it that it doesn't take on water and sink while you're towing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it all depends on the damage that's already been done to it, mm. you know, the the efforts we're going to go through. But you're also talking about working on a jetty that's got uh, barnacles that are about a size of a quarter everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, you slip and cut your leg up and you get MRSA. You know, where's the, it's all risk first reward. Yeah. You really want to do all that? Um, but once you get it off, yeah, it's going to take on some water. You kind of use, uh, like spray foam or something to fill holes, Mm. keep it from sinking prior to pulling it off. Okay. I got you. That makes sense. Or you can just kind of plan on taking it to a sandbar, have some pumps set up on it, you know, gas, dewatering pumps Mm -hmm. and bring it somewhere safe. Or you could have a trailer ready. Um, we actually carry tarps on the boat, so we'll jump in the water and tarp the whole boat if we have to. Really, put a tarp around the entire hull around uh, uh, on the outside. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it just makes the whole boat waterproof. Yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating, man. I I would not have considered that. That makes absolutely perfect sense. Yeah, we had a little boat doing that. It was taking on water. Had a we couldn't find the hull, but it was a hull delam, just a giant hole in the bottom of the mm-hmm. boat, and we couldn't find it. And it was dark, and we didn't really want to dive it, so we had a, a tarp on the boat. We just pulled it out, wrapped it around the whole boat, and tied it tight. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, so yeah, yeah, you know, and, and it's it's those kind of things that that I think are really interesting. And in looking at your social media channels too, you know, just seeing how you, you know, how you how you do this stuff, you know, um, it's it, it's really fascinating. Well, let's talk quickly, too, about the most obvious threat along the East Coast, and that's hurricanes. You know, um, 
Do you have any recommendations for folks uh, in terms of their own boats, um, how to keep them, you know, if they've got them in a marina for one thing, but then also just, you know, what are, what are some protocols that you guys follow uh, as a, as, as a company and experienced mariners in dealing with a storm that looks like it's going to come ashore? So a lot of people have um, like plans set up with marinas for a, a haul out in the event a hurricane comes. Mm-hmm. And that's really about the only way around here that you're going to be guaranteed a spot because mm. it is crazy. I mean, it's, it's so hard to bring boats anywhere anymore. Um, fortunately, we got trailers. Our boats are small enough. We just throw them on a trailer, park them in our yard. Yeah. Or, you know, and we kept some at some marinas and stuff uh, like River Watts and Sailfish Marina. But, yeah, big boats. And a lot of people try and either go, like, across the lake to get away from them. Hmm. But, you know, you get a bottleneck at all the locks. Oh, wow. So they, you'll come through there and there'll be about 30 boats all sitting there trying to get through. And there's a hurricane coming. And then the hurricane will change path and then it comes back the other way, you know. So you got to turn around and go the other way. Oh, geez. So like uh, Irma did. Irma was originally predict- predicted to go up the East Coast, but mm-hmm. it ended up going up the West Coast. You know, and I can't, everybody kind of got caught off guard with that one. Geez. So yeah, I didn't even think about that. So they would have, so folks would go up in the locks. The I mean, you can, the you can get in the middle of the state. Yeah, you can get in the middle of the state, kind of get away from some of the stronger winds. Mm-hmm. You know, find some marinas out there, but you know, you're tying up in subpar marinas and stuff, and limited facilities, and you know, there's no repair facilities for the most part. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's a problem. And then the a other, lot of people tear off up north, and then it'll shift and go up north. Yeah, that's why I like having a boat small enough I can just put it on a trailer. <laughs> yeah, not have to worry yeah, about definitely. that. <laughs> um. You know, your, your, your video that, that uh, maybe we'll close out with the video, um, of, of the parbuckle that I, that I started this conversation with talk a little bit about, um, you know, not necessarily just that rescue, but it's such an interesting technique that I think a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of, of how that works and why it works. Can you, can you talk us through? Um, you know, just say that the one where you rescued the Grady White, like what, where, where and why do you attach the ropes like you do? And then what is your technique as you, as you move forward in that, in that retrieval? So if we can, we try to use the D rings on the back cause they're going to be stronger. Sure. But sometimes it's better to use a cleat. So you're not kind of crossing over the engine or the steering or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're applying a kind of rotational leverage to start riding the boat to allow the water to escape. And as it starts losing some of that water on the deck, then you apply your pressure to the front by ah, releasing the stern. Okay. As you release the stern line, it's going to kind of come behind you like a normal toe. And then you just kind of got to give it the coals. And you really got to have the proper equipment on the boat to kind of do that because you're really putting a lot of pressure on it. If you're trying to do it with this cleats or something like that, you're probably going to rip them out of a recreational boat. How many pounds, like on this Grady White, it looks like it's maybe a 23 or 24 footer. Do you have any idea like how, what kind of load you're putting on your, on your lines um, when you're, when you're doing it, uh, yeah, when you're first really jacking that thing around? Um, <laughs> without looking at the actual poundage of the line, I, I, I don't really know, but I can take those engines to full throttle and those lines will not break wow the only way you're ever going to break those lines we have is if you're shock loading it you know surging the boat really hard or using two tow boats you kind of run into some line breakage there but that uh am steel stuff we use which is the dyneema like a name brand mm-hmm. that stuff does not break it's it's What's crazy it made out strong of? half inch it's only it's half pretty inch. much like braid uh, like- yeah it's only half inch but it's yeah, it's like braid for your fishing rod. Wow. But just picture that a half inch around. That's crazy. That is crazy but strong it, the, stuff. The downside of it is, is it has no shock whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So when you tow with it, it'll pretty much try to snatch people down and break cleats. And so we kind of avoid it for our everyday towing stuff. Anything but, yeah. So you use it when you just really need that maximum strength. Yeah, but it also has <laughs> no stretch either. So if you do break it, 
it doesn't come back at all. It pretty much just falls in the water. Wow, that's crazy. Crazy. Well, when you... so it's great for some things, but not so great for our everyday towing. We kind of just prefer the, the double braid, but strong enough where you're never going to break it. Yeah, gotcha. That's a three-quarter three double braid that we use for most of our towing. Double braid, not A lot on. of towers don't use it because it does have a memory and can come back, mm-hmm. but it does provide the release. Like when you're coming in the inlet on a real rough day, it'll it'll give a little bit. What do you have the if I'm looking at this Grady White video, what do you have the um what do you have the two lines hooked to on the stern of your boat? Like what it looks like there's almost a, a rotating maybe it's just a camera mount that I'm looking at, but what do you have the Well we have an H bit on ours. So it's got two big posts. Okay. We can work off both sides. Um actually I just put up a three sixty video on YouTube of that of the lower deck. Oh cool. I'll give I'm that a look. Trying to get into some of that stuff so it's like a virtual experience. You can kind of move around and see like what we're doing. That one's on YouTube? Yeah, I just oh, cool. I just posted it. Okay. I'll give that I'll give that a look as well. Um Well right on, man. This has been a this has been a good chat. Um what are we what have we left out? You wanna give a shout out to anybody that you uh that you that you that you work with or, or other friends and family? Um, I mean, I, I'd say my biggest mentor has been my dad and uh, Captain Woody Woodruff up here. Woody he's uh, retired now, but yeah, he's, he's been a great boss to me. That's awesome. Um, well, Jesse Hoffmeister, thanks so much for taking, taking some time to chat with us on the Power and Motor Yacht podcast and uh, stay safe out there and, and, keep other people safe it seems like you're doing a hell of a good job so far man (laughs) yeah thanks thanks for having me yeah i really appreciate the time um and we'll see you guys all out on the water take care